Welcome to the show, not quite mainstream enough to be sued by Aggregate Industries. Welcome to Bike Live. Let's go! Yep, this is episode 76 of Bike Live as the fallout from the Silverstone cancellation continues and that will form the backbone for a show based on no racing whatsoever for the second week in a row. Um, joining myself, uh, Andre Harrison, we'll introduce him in a moment. We are going to uh, continue to discuss the fallout from Silverstone as the story moves on a little bit as the uh, company most responsible for the farce at Silverstone has come out fighting um, since last week's show. Um, we'll also look ahead to this weekend. It is a huge weekend um, of motorcycle racing, and uh, you'll be pleased to know, based on uh, what we're going to talk about on this show, that this is the last weekend, or the weekend we were just about to talk about, is the last weekend of no motorcycle racing until the end of the motorcycle racing season. Um, so we're heading into a very, very busy time of year as the Showdown 6 uh, in the British Superbike Championship are decided this weekend around a, uh, well, half of Silverstone. Um, and MotoGP tries again to get a race in without cancellation. This time, they're going to attempt it at Mizano uh, on the Adriatic coast of Italy. The weather forecast for Sunday indicates we will get a race this time. Uh, joining me, as I mentioned, to um, well to try and fill time once again this week in the absence of any actual motorcycle racing is Andre Harrison. Welcome, Dre. If we go one hour, 58 minutes this time, we have serious problems. <laughs> Absolutely no racing this weekend, but a potential lawsuit, yeah. as you do. <laughs> Hi, everybody. Pleasure to be back, as always. And uh, let's let's see how well we can time fill this week. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, let's see if we can make it through the show and actually maybe shake hands at the end of it rather than uh, any kind of refusal. Yeah. More mm. on that in a bit. Um, because uh, in the absence of any real talking points this week, and I have to say, I was kind of sort of batting ideas around in my head before we uh, came to uh, record this earlier today, knowing that there was nothing to talk about, really. And I was thinking, well, there's a few things we could do. We could do some sort of... We, we once did an unscripted bike live, which actually worked pretty well. Um, mm -hmm. We could do another one of those. I was thinking we could literally just do some sort of keeping it one-on-one style show where we just talk about anything but motorcycle racing for a week. Um, sure. And in the end, Valentino Rossi decided not to shake Mark Marquez's hand and solved that problem for us. Um, so, so we'll get to that um, as motorsport's biggest feud was ignited once again in Italy earlier today. Uh, we'll get to that later on in the show. But first of all, the places you can find us, facebook.com forward slash motorsport 101. On Twitter, we are at motorsport underscore 101. Uh, if you've been following us on there today, you'll have spotted a, uh, a familiar face, which we'll discuss in a second. Um, yeah, we're on YouTube, youtube.com forward slash motorsport 101. Uh, our website is motorsport 101. Dot com. Uh, RJ's got a new piece up on there based on GP2, or F2, if I'm uh, getting the name of the series right. Their brand new winner, um, who uh, took his first victory back on Saturday at Monza. Um, and if you like us so much that you want to back us financially, you can back us on Patreon uh, at patreon.com forward slash motorsport101. Uh, you back us at the $5 level, and you earn yourself early access to both this show and Motorsport 101 each week. Uh, back us at the $10 level. Uh, you can listen to these shows live through our Discord server, as uh, a number of you are doing right now. Good evening to you. Um, and as I mentioned, Dre, um, those who follow us on Twitter will have spotted someone awfully familiar earlier on today. Um, mm. a, a face from Motorspot 101's past. They did indeed. Um, yeah, I, I put a teaser out there on the podcast Twitter. I was like, hey, anyone recognize this familiar face? And uh, yes, it was... Uh... 
our former co-host, our friend and yours, Mr. Adam Johnson. Bringer of noise. Br- the, the bringer of noise himself. Um, yeah, I, I came to his house for the day. Um, lives up in Swanley, just about 15 minutes away from Brands Hatch. It's actually quite a convenient spot. Um, but uh, yes, um, I will be making a guest appearance on his YouTube channel next week. As he may um, have yeah, it's, 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 it's the Armbar Arcade, youtube.com forward slash Armbar Arcade. I don't normally plug other people's shows on there, but I thought I'd, I'd, for this, just this once, I'd make an exception. Um, but uh, I am on there. It is a big episode of his F1 2018 career mode, and he insisted on having a co-commentator for this one. And to me. <laughs> so, yeah, we don't normally get uh, two people commentating on the same career mode episode. But, hey, uh, apparently my services were available. So keep an eye on that in the next coming days. It'll be episode six of his career mode at Monaco featuring me. The first time I've been on an F1 gaming video in, God, two and a half years, I think. So for those guys that enjoy a throwback to my past, as well as Johnson's, Check out youtube.com forward slash armbar arcade in the next few days. It might even be up by the time this goes out. Who knows? We'll have to wait and see. I'm not sure what Johnson's upload schedule is for this one just yet. But uh, keep keep your eyes peeled on that one. I'm sure I'll plug it again at some at some point between now and next week. But uh, keep an eye on it. YouTube.com forward slash armbar arcade. Yeah, and uh, I have to say, uh, Dre is well versed in uh, two-hour Formula One video game uh, streams, if you like, because uh, he famously mm. uh, drove uh, endless laps of Sochi for the absolutely no reason. Oh, uh, if you uh, if you remember awesome. that one. Um, so uh, so yeah, Dre Dre no. Dre's done this before, people. So he knows what he's doing in these kind of things. Um, so uh, yeah, do check that out in the coming weeks. Uh, we'll give it a plug when it comes out in a couple of weeks. Um, featuring um, our former uh, host, Adam Johnson, and our current one, uh, Andre Harrison. Um, as mentioned, uh, if you've backed us uh, on Patreon, you will have listened to the last two episodes of Motorsport 101 earlier than everyone else, although by the time you're listening to this, if you've listened to this show, they're probably out publicly anyway. Um, but episode 158 and 159 of Motorsport 101 went live this week, um, and... <laughs> Dre, I mentioned 158, might have been a tricky one for you to record, based on the fact that uh, yeah, Ferrari's triumphant homecoming at Monza was uh, was kiboshed a little bit. Just a tad. Uh, yeah, let's just say it was pretty much done by turn four. Um, mm. As you do. But um, yes, uh, episode 158 of Motorsport 101. Uh, we'll probably be live by the time this goes out. Um, so yeah, I'm 99% sure it will be actually. So yeah, it was a weekend built around the Finnish support drivers. Depending on how you look at it, it's Kimi Raikkonen getting the mother of all toes to pole position, his first in over a calendar year, and attempting to get his first win in God was it five and a half years now? I think the last one was Australia 2013, his last mm. win. So yeah, over five and a half years since his last victory, um, and well. It didn't quite happen due to, once again, the great wall of Valtteri Bottas, the wingman, as we've now nicknamed him on this show. Uh, let's just say park in the rear um, mm. for, for and opening the door for Lewis Hamilton to pick off a bruised and battered Kimi. Yeah, uh, I was about to say, I, was, I, I really wanted to tweet my actual feelings about Kimi Raikkonen on Sunday, but I thought the Kimi Raikkonen fans really get pissy when you slug off their driver on Twitter, so I decided not to bother. Um, you mean but, that beacon of personality? Yeah, <laughs> but no, what I was thinking was, obviously Sebastian Vettel made his own mistakes in that race, but I'm thinking to myself, if you're Ferrari and you've got the best car on the track that day and Vettel's out of play, Kimi's got to be winning that race. He just has to. 
Right, like that was... He will not get a better chance to win a Grand Prix. Uh, like, especially if the rumours are true that Charles Leclerc really is taking his seat for next year. Um, Kimmy's not going to have very many chances left to win another Grand Prix again. And uh, Ferrari needed him yeah. to take points off Lewis, man. Badly. Badly. Especially after Sebastian ended up falling down. So, okay, it was a decent recovery to fourth in the end. Thanks, Max. Um, and <laughs> and whatnot. But uh, yeah, this was an absolute gimme. It was it was a it was an open goal for Kimi Raikkonen, and, and he wasn't able to cash it. And Lewis Hamilton drove probably his best best race of the season to steal that win on on home turf. It was another. Like, as a Ferrari guy, this was a sucker punch. It yeah. was another yeah. sucker punch. I mean, it was nice to get one at Silverstone when Lewis, you know, through no, through no fault of his own, was ironically taken out by Kimi during that race, and then Lewis came back for second. But uh, that was a nice win on home turf. Like, and Merck's rubbing it in, running them formation, flagging through the parabolic of towards coming in. And I was like, I don't blame him. I don't blame him. I'm not holding it against him. Like, I would stunt too if I'd stolen the win at their home turf like that. Especially yeah, I'm surprised the they, uh, their formation flying the same. He's managed to make it through that snake pit alive. I know, right? It's like, I, I can't believe it. it was so hazardous out there. It's like snakes on a plane, only with 220 mile an hour F1 cars. It was impressive um but yes all of the talk regarding that that, that pretty actually to be fair probably the best italian Grand Prix in a couple of decades um to be fair um it's all of the breakdown from that why i think it's almost over for a title race at this point yeah me actually being critical of sebastian Vettel. that in itself is worth the price of admission in what is a double upload this week so episode 158 will most likely be already out by the time you hear this and don't forget to tune into episode 159 as well um focusing all on Dixon is destiny. Episode 159, all boast based around IndyCar's return to Portland for the first time since 2007. And uh, our favorite catchphrase in yours, Takuma Sato, stealing the victory on that one. And Scott Dixon, who at this point is virtually invincible. Um, I've come to the conclusion that you can't kill Scott Dixon. Um, Gets caught in a colossal lap one wreck, drives into a giant dust cloud. And survives <laughs> with only a with only a dent on the front bumper with a drive through penalty. Still finishes in fifth and extends his championship lead. I do not understand how Scott Dixon does this, but he just does. Simple as that. But uh, yeah, all of that from a pretty hectic Grand Prix of Portland as well. All the news, including the big shakeup at McLaren, Stoffel out, uh, Lando Norris in, where that's concerned as well. The rumors of Charles Leclerc, possibly, you know, Toto Wolf pushing for three car teams, all that fun stuff. It's a whopping great doubleheader. Over two and a half hours worth of shows all in all over the next weekend on Motorsport 101. So check it out if you haven't already. Yeah, and uh, we can announce actually right now uh, that next week you will have a double helping of Bike Live uh, to listen to. Yes! Um, right here. Um, partly to make up for how uh, thin on the ground this week's show is, um, you will have heard Dre, if you've already listened to episode 158 of, Motors- of Motorsport 101, um, tee up the fact that we've been trying very hard to get on... Um, our, almost like our third panellist now on Bike Live, Greg Haynes. Almost, um, yeah. uh, The voice of World Superbikes and the face of BSB, if you watch it on ITV4. Um, he unfortunately has got a lot going on at the moment and was unable to join us, but he has promised to join us next week. Um, so, um, so next week, we are going to split the shows into two. Episode 77 uh, of Bike Live next week will review the MotoGP action, assuming we get any, um, at mm-hmm. Mizano this weekend. 
um, including Moto 2 and Moto 3. Uh, and episode 78 will feature a review of the final regular season round in inverted commas of the British Superbike Championship and feature an interview uh, with Greg Haynes as he uh, no doubt talks to us about BSB, but also brings us up to speed on World Superbikes ahead of its return at Portimao um, in a week from now. Um, so that's a, a double episode next week, 77 and 78 of Bike Live coming next week. Um, but let's get episode 76 out of the way first. Um, and uh, we're going to start where we ended last week, um, and at, that is at Silverstone, and the fallout from the cancelled Grand Prix um, that we saw uh, last weekend. Uh, the British Grand Prix, which was cancelled, as I'm sure you're all aware by now, due to an awful lot of rain and a very poorly relayed track surface um, at Silverstone. Now, the main development, Dre, since... Um, we spoke last week about this whole fracas and this whole farce of a situation mm-hmm. um, is that the company that were entrusted with relaying the sub circuit themselves, aggregate industries to give you uh, their full name, have kind of come out fighting. They've come that they, they, they've, they've gone down swinging. Um, it's, it's amazing. Like I honestly, I, I, I saw the situation develop on Twitter on the day and I was in shock. I was like, are they seriously suggesting this? Like, and yeah, turns out they were. Um, First of all, there was a yeah. comment from Stuart Pringle, the MD of Silverstone, who uh, said that um, suggestions that the cancellation was entirely down to the track surface are only conjecture at this point. <laughs> Which I was, okay. Yeah, okay. Yeah, well, you're putting off the inevitable for a little bit longer. Fair enough. Whatever you say, fellas. Whatever you say. <laughs> but, um, yeah, like, yeah, only conjecture. Right, sure, and, and pigs can now fly. Um, okay, whatever you say, fellas, whatever you say. Um, so yeah, that was fun uh, just to see that. But uh, turns out, aggregate industries themselves have sued Matt Oxley, one of the biggest um, biking journalists in the country, um, out here, a regular contributor to Motorsport Magazine as well, and he's been sued uh, amazingly. Um, presumably, but but yeah, it's it's yeah. funny because. Um, Simon Patterson of MCN uh, did put a tweet out on, I think it was the Sunday night or the Monday, um, where he referred to, um, he said that there are some uh, sort of trainee or up-and-coming journalists, however he phrased it, who might well be finding themselves on the receiving end of, um, or they might need to check out what the word libelous means. Um, mm-hmm. I did see him tweet that, which um, made me instantly go back and uh, reread whatever I'd written. Um, although, to be fair, <laughs> although, to be fair, I haven't re- written any sort of great... Um, you know, opinion pieces about it. I basically just stated the fact that in my report that the race was cancelled, here's what's gone on, and that was it. Um, but yeah, um, Matt Oxley, I don't think it was one of those journalists that Simon Patterson was referring to, um, given that he's one of the uh, most respected and most experienced journalists in the paddock. Um, but uh, he tweeted this um, on, well, where are we on now? This was on Monday, Monday morning at 10.32. Um, and this is absolutely brilliant. Uh, and it's a thread that extends over a series of tweets. He says, Hi, at Aggregate UK. Since you've threatened me with legal action for doing my job at the Silverstone MotoGP round, I'd like to help you with your job of undertaking a review of your work. I've collated comments from riders, teams, and MotoGP management in the hope they will be of use. And <laughs> he then tags them in with a series of uh, press releases and articles with uh, the opinions of race director Mike Webb, Loris Caparossi and Franco Ancini, um, the Ducati riders, um, yeah. Jorge Lorenzo's crew chief. A com- basically, he transcribes a conversation that Lorenzo and his crew chief, Christian Gabarini, were having on the grid after the sighting lap. Mm-hmm. Um, he includes the uh, comments of Tito Rabat, the rider whose leg got smashed to bits in the uh, accident on Saturday. Yes. Um, he includes the comments of Piero Taramazzo, the uh, motorsport 
um, two-wheel manager of Michelin. Uh, he includes the press release of the world champions Repsol Honda. Um, the uh, press release that includes comments of Massimo Marigali, Valentino Rossi's moves to the Yamaha team manager, and then finishes it off by saying, I hope that this information from the people most in the know, the MotoGP riders and their teams, is of use to you in your investigation into what went wrong. If I could be of further assistance, please let me know. <laughs> Magnificent! <laughs> it reminds me of, do you, I don't know if you watched it last season, on um, last week tonight with John Oliver, where he gets sued by the coal magnet Bob Murray. Um, oh, we did hear about this. Yes, yeah, and um, and it's fair to say that John Oliver doesn't exactly take a backward step in it. Um, no, like he pretty much no. as, he, as he's ripping this company to bits on his on his show, he's almost saying as he says this, "I know I'm going to get sued from this." So he's pretty much making sure he's on sound legal footing when he does this. But I have to say, Trey Matt Oxley handled this very very well. Beautifully, that was that was poetry in motion uh, from from Matt on that one. It was a it was a libellus tour de force um, on that one. But yeah, like like I, I, I find it I find it amazing that you know you would go out of your way to you know sue a journalist who didn't write anything that was a lie, anything that could have made you know, the character of Aggregate look any worse than they'd already done, given the state of their weekend. Um, you know, I, I, I don't understand the play here. Like, what do you expect to gain from this, from suing one pesky journalist over over comments that were perfectly valid, um, especially when it was backed up by all the writers who were directly involved by their incompetence? So, no, I, I, I don't understand what you gained from that. It was it was a ludicrous move. It, it, it's silly. They doubled down, uh, basically. They, they've doubled down on their own bullshit, and and I, I think it's a terrible decision on their part. I think they're going to live to regret it because I think they are, you know, they 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 they, they screwed up. They are they were, in my opinion, directly responsible for this weekend being cancelled and like suing the journalist. Like that is a terrifying sign of society in general, and journalists are being sued for doing their job. I mean, I don't want to get too meta talking about world news and whatnot, but it's not the first time in recent news that journalists have basically been captured or it held is, against. It's almost them. as if rather than trying to answer the legitimate mm. criticisms, our best form oh, of best you form. know attack is to silence them or attempts to silence them, yeah, um, that's, rather than uh... actually answering them. Um, mm -hmm. and, and it's clear that they do have a case to answer and um, there were some suggestions from some riders today that rather than you know do the resurfacing job properly they essentially took the top layer of the tarmac off and then just went back over the went back over it rather than actually doing it properly um, we don't know for, mm. for, for for sure whether that's the case or not on the aggregate do and Silverstone do uh, who are conducting their own investigation so we'll see uh, where that leads so far as Dorna are concerned um Carmelo Espaleta has been speaking today um, on day of recording, Thursday, September the 6th, mm. uh, speaking from Mizano. And Dorna can't take the whole of the blame for what happened last weekend, although, as I mentioned last week on the show, they certainly do have a portion of it for perhaps um, overlooking certain things in the whole relaying process and perhaps for their handling of the whole delays that we got um, Sunday before last. Um, yeah. And it appears as if Kamala Spalletta and Dorna are already putting provisions in place to avoid a repeat of this scenario. Um, speaking of the cancellation itself, the Nespaletta said um, to Movistar MotoGP, Spanish TV, uh, it's a shame, but it's an experience we could, should learn from. We must think about what we can do so it doesn't happen again. 
He says, right. it's important that everybody knows that if the race can't be held on the Sunday, we will race on Monday or Tuesday. We come here to race. Tomorrow, I will let the riders know that there will always be a safe race, always when possible, but safe. I don't like to change the rules, and this wasn't confirmed. From now on, we will race on a Monday if it's possible to race on the Monday. I will tell them to be prepared to race the following day. We must also tell this to the organisers, referring presumably um, to the circuit. Um, he also explains how the riders were involved in the decision-making process we had at Silverstone. He says the riders form an important part of the safety commission. They're a relevant part of it. At no point would we have considered racing. Our criteria is hardly ever different to that of the riders. Um, and it, it has to be said, Dre, a lot of what happened last weekend was out of Dorna's hands. I mean, they can't control the weather. They can't necessarily right. control um, the mistakes a circuit makes, although I think they're now probably going to put provisions in place to uh, homologate and inspect tracks in wet and dry conditions before they homologate them before the start of a season. We, of course, saw right. the, the wet weather tests they attempted at Qatar last uh, last spring uh, in mm -hmm. the event that a wet race might be necessary there. Um and there were criticisms that the riders and Dorna faced last weekend of the failure to race and the teams to failure to race on either the Sunday or the Monday. Um, and it's pretty clear that Dorna, for whatever slice of the blame we feel they deserve to this, they are going to learn their own lessons, which, to be fair, they've been pretty good at in the past. When they have been faced with situations that they could have handled better, they tend to learn their lessons and they look like they're doing it again. Yeah, they're doing. I mean, they're doing about as much as they could, as much as they can realistically do. I mean, I'll be real with you here. Like, expecting a Grand Prix venue to run a race on a Monday or Tuesday is a big ask. Like, as mentioned with Silverstone before, they had a lot of volunteers. Yeah, a lot expecting of them to do it at next to no notice is impossible. Yeah, that's yeah, that's virtually impossible. I think I think a lot of that is is just PR talk from from Carmelo and. You know, of, of course, he's going to come out and say that, but like in in reality, that's going to be very hard to pull off because again, a lot of these guys are marshals, a lot of these kind, a lot of these guys have full time jobs, a lot of these guys are volunteers, a lot of these guys, you know, then it's it, like they they work the weekends because they already have a nine to five day job. Um, so expected them, expected them to work on a Monday or Tuesday and able to get volunteers for what could be a five day weekend, quote unquote, potentially, is dangerous um and that is a, a dangerous expectation in my opinion to have but dorna I, I i certainly can vouch for dorna and say they are doing the best they can in the circumstances i mean they're, they're going to go out and test more tracks and like, like they're doing with cats are clearly and you know they are trying to if if, 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 the, if, tracks, if the tracks can pull off a monday and a tuesday race then then more power to them if they can pull that off then fine that's that's not a problem i don't think that's doable but Again, Dawn is trying to cover their bases because they, they don't ever want to see that again. That was the first cancelled Grand Prix weekend in nearly 40 years. They never want it. That's, that's, it was embarrassing for everybody involved. Mm. And they, they're they going out of their way to make sure it doesn't happen again. And, and I think they're going about it the right way. Um, there's, like, again, they're, a lot of it is covering their own asses, which is understandable. Yeah, um, I think given what their they're trying to do. Um, and again, it, whether they can actually succeed with this is another matter. But I think what essentially Dorna are going to do now is they're going to essentially say to the circuits before they go there, uh, i.e. whether it's at the start of the season, because um, I'm not sure whether you can, you can't essentially rewrite these guys' contracts um, that they have in place. And we have a couple to tell you about later on that have extended theirs. Um, but I think what Carmen Spoletta is trying to say in principle is that when you approach a circuit going to a MotoGP race weekend, he's essentially telling the circuit, 
we want you to host our event from Thursday to Sunday and Monday if required. Um, yeah. It's almost as if we want you to have everything in place to, at a last resort, which is what it would be, run the race on the Monday if we need to. Um, which I think is a fair a, a fair request to make, given that it's what this has happened twice in the last decade. Um, yeah. You know, once at Qatar, famously, when it rained um, and the night race was not possible in the rain that day um, no, and last weekend. Um, and I think that's essentially what they're saying. So that would then form the backbone of what the circuits would then say to their volunteers, be it marshals, be it security, mm-hmm. be it catering, whatever it may be, be it broadcasters. Basically, to say to these broadcasters, we are running this race as scheduled on Sunday, but at our last resort, we need you guys to be available for Monday too. Um, and you know whether people will be able to still do it on that basis remains to be seen. But I think Dorna basically want that sort of safety net in place. Yeah, it's um, a blanket. Yeah, in the future, in case they need to, um, because it's clear that there were just, there were too many hoops to jump through last Sunday um, at Silverstone Absolutely. to make that happen. Be it the general infrastructure of Silverstone because there were marshals. Um, who had already club meetings scheduled themselves on the bank holiday Monday that they were already uh-huh. double booked for and couldn't then commit to the Monday. Um, broadcasters obviously had their own schedules to try and um, cram an extra Monday race into. There are a number of issues surrounding the Monday race. And of course, a lot of teams had tests to go to um, as well yeah. uh, that they didn't want to cancel. Um, so it was impossible last weekend at Silverstone, but Dorna essentially want to put the the um, you know the 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 provisions in place where this could be doable if required in the future. It's almost like, think of it like if you're at work and you're left on call um, for a day, yeah. there's a 90% chance you're not going to be needed at all, but they at least want right. you to be on standby if required. Um, exactly. And I think that's kind of where we're going um, with this one. Um, so so we'll see if this happens. Like I say, hopefully it's not needed in the future at all. Um, but I think most of GP just want to make sure that they're covering their bases um, in the event of this, I don't think we're going to be needing a motor uh, a Monday race this weekend. Um, put it that way um, at Mizano, um, but we shall see. There is a lot of rain forecast for the uh, early part of the weekend, but not at this stage for Sunday. Sunday is scheduled to be all clear. Um, as I mentioned, the 2019 MotoGP calendar has been confirmed. Um, there this week. Now, we always tend to say in inverted commas the provisional 2019 calendar, which is what it has been called because. Um, race dates tend to be moved around. I, the way I tend to see race calendars, Dre, is essentially everyone waits for Formula 1 to confirm their calendar and then they try to work around that, yeah? Pretty much, yeah. Because uh, everyone wants to avoid that kind of uh, that kind of uh, clash. Now, here's how the calendar looks. Um, stop me if this sounds awfully similar to this year's. Um, we start in Qatar, 10th of March, which I'm pretty sure from off the top of my head, Dre, is at least a fortnight ahead of the first Formula 1 race of the season. Um, yeah, they, they they tend to run last weekend of March, don't they? They tend to lean towards the end of March. I'm just coming a quick Google for I mean, it. They're, they're, host, they're holding a final race in bloody December next year. Yeah, December first for Abu Dhabi next season, which is freaking ridiculous. Like, well, be opening our advent calendars on the day of the final Grand Prix of the season. Yeah, like no. To be fair, they've pulled Australia earlier. It's March seventeenth. Okay, so just a week March. after Qatar. Um, so just no clashes Qatar, at the start of the yeah. season. So MotoGP gets in ahead of F1 with its first round of the season next year. Um, the Argentine Grand Prix hosts round two three weeks later. Now the reason there's a three week gap rather than a two week gap is because there was the potential discussion of slotting in a Mexican Grand Prix in that gap. Um, mm-hmm. obviously for the reasons that we've discussed on previous shows, i.e. the lack of safety around that place for bikes, that race isn't happening. Um, so the Argentine Grand Prix is on March 31st, um, 2019, yeah. 
Round three is at the Circuit of the Americas, 14th of April. That is, uh, I think, just one week, seven days after its new IndyCar round there. Uh, yeah, I think it is. Year, yeah. 7th of April. Um, the Spanish Grand Prix, uh, as ever, hosts the uh, opening round uh, of the European season, the newly named Circuito de Jerez Angel Nieto uh, on May the 5th. Uh, Le Mans, May 19th. Uh, of course, their home rider, John Zarco, will be riding in KTM Orange for the first time. Uh, at a home Grand Prix there next year. Um, the Italian Grand Prix at Mugello is on the 2nd of June. Catalonia, 16th of June. And then the uh, Dutch GP at Assen is on the final day of June, June 30th. Um, one week after that, back-to-back with Assen, is the German Grand Prix at the Saxon Ring, um, July the 7th. Then a one-month-long summer break, four weeks before the return at Brno on the ch- for the Czech Grand Prix, 4th of August. That is back-to-back with Spielberg, as ever, for the Austrian Grand Prix on 11th of August. Once again, the British Grand Prix uh, is the 25th of August, which, as this year, is the bank holiday weekend. Everyone immediately will start checking their long-range weather forecasts. Um, the San Marino Grand Prix is the 15th of September, so there is a three-week gap between British Grand Prix and the San Marino Grand Prix at Mizano World Circuit, Marco Simoncelli. Uh, Mizano is back-to-back with Aragon, interestingly. Uh, that's on September 22nd. Uh, before we head off to Asia for the Thai Grand Prix at Buriram, 6th of October, and the traditional... Back to back to back, uh, Asia Pacific triple headers of Mategi, Phillip Island, and Sipang in consecutive weekends, 20th to the third, 20th October to the third of November. Those three weekends will host those three Grand Prix in that order. And the final round of the season is the Valencia Grand Prix, Circuit Ricardo Tomo, November the 17th, uh, which uh, I think even for MotoGP is its latest ever finish. Um, for a season, just two weeks before the Formula 1 finishes. Um, that will, of course, also include um, the annual postseason tests and all that goes with it. Uh, if you're wondering, for the Moto E calendar, because um, this, of course, is the calendar for MotoGP, Moto2 and Moto3, um, there was talk that there was going to be a Moto E World Cup calendar promoted or produced this weekend um, at Mizano. We will see if that does happen. If it does happen, we'll bring it to you next week, although it's expected to be around six or so races largely at European venues to accompany the uh, existing uh, calendar that we already have now. Um, so that's your calendar for next season. All 19 circuits um, for this season remain in place. Uh, Carmelo Spalletta has already said in that movie star interview that I uh, referenced to you a little bit earlier on when he discussed the events of Silverstone, um, he has confirmed that all 19 circuits currently on the calendar, um, I'll give you his, uh, his exact quote, um, until 2021, we will keep the same circuits that we have now. The four races in Spain will remain, all subject to homologation of the circuits. Now, that final comment, Dre, is possibly going to be in reference to Silverstone. Uh, oh, gosh, yeah. Subject to homologation of the circuits. But um, it does, I suppose, provide these circuits with a bit of a, uh, a bit of long-term thinking and a bit of security that even if new rounds like Finland uh, or Mexico do add uh, or do come into the MotoGP fraternity in the next few years, the current circus on the calendar know that they're safe. Yeah, that's always nice to know if, if, if you're a, if you're a track promoter, you've got that extra level of security you knowing you've got three years of bookings planned out for when the bigger events at MotoGP wise, unless you're Silverstone, in which case uh, sit tight um, and you might get that track ironed out in the meantime. But um, what yeah, it also like, means, I, though, I suppose, is that um, if we do get the Kaimi ring. Um, get built um, for next season or if Mexico somehow do wave a magic wand and make their circuit fit for bikes we're talking we're not talking about races like the four in Spain getting replaced on the calendar or any others we are genuinely going to be talking about potentially 19 20 even 21 MotoGP races in a season 
I think we're getting dangerously close to that point. I think you know, like like Finland is is going to be next on the list. The Kaimi ring is. Yeah, is if certain... the letter confirms that none of the current existing venues are getting dropped off, then that only means one thing. Yeah, it's getting bigger, and I'm not sure you want a MotoGP season as big as that. You, do you really want to open the door for more injuries? You know, smaller summer breaks. You know, going you know, more potential F1 clashes as well by trying to cram 21 rounds into a into a calendar like that. I mean, if you're doing that in the same window as, as Formula One, there's going to be more clashes. It's getting that's unavoidable, especially when your flyaway rounds are you know, traditionally back to back to back um so you're going to cross at least you know two f1 rounds by doing that most of the time so like i'm not sure if they wonder what those problems are not to mention god the rider's health and whatnot being off the you know being on the road for the best part of nine months at that point and more chances of niggling injuries coming it, it, it's and the penalty it, for injuries will be even greater because you're probably going to miss more races exactly um so i'm not sure that's a road i want to see them go down to be honest with you because i think that could be problematic and like it nine like 18 was already pushing it for a lot of these riders when it came to dealing with injuries and getting hurt and whatnot we're at 19 this year like and it's clear there's as good as there's going to be 20 to 21 in the next two or three years most likely when the climbing ring is ready and of course if they keep pushing for mexico which would be fucking audacious mm. but please and they, and they want to race in brazil again yeah, that's, yeah they, they, they want to go back to Brazil at some point as well. Maybe not the Nelson PK circuit before, but something else. Yeah, but Brazil, uh, Indonesia want a race. Or, you know, Indonesia, Indonesia's MotoGP mad. It's bike mad. Um, there's always yeah, been talk on, of a race on, somewhere on, maybe on in South Jakarta. Race, yeah. Um, yeah, exactly. It's it's we're getting to we're getting to that pinch point where something's you know you can't just keep growing the calendar. There's only so many weeks in the year for goodness sake, and you know you've got to allow these guys not only to test, but you've got to allow these guys to just take a break from it all. Um, and uh, I think that's um, that's the danger that we're making. Just to confirm, by the way, for those that are wondering, on calendar clashes, um, I've got both calendars in front of me, so I can tell you which which do clash at the moment. Um, at the moment, the races Formula One in Bahrain clashes with MotoGP Argentina um, at mm. the moment. And remember, Bahrain is a night race now, so that's going to be taking place in the evening, much like the Argentine MotoGP race is going to be. Um, oh, so yeah. that's that turned into a problem. Um, Chinese Formula One Grand Prix clashes with Kota MotoGP in that they're on the same Sunday. Obviously, they're at very different times of the day, so that's not necessarily mm. a problem. Um, but they're clashing. Um, where else are we? Um, 2nd of June, we're clear. I think the main, majority of the European rounds are completely clear until you get to Spielberg. Um, the That's Spielberg F1. Um, June 30th yeah. clashes with Assen MotoGP. Um, oh, so there's God. your next that clash, clash, and they are both at the that's same time very- of the day. That's a very bad clash. Jesus, nobody wins there. No, it's a bad clash, not just in terms of the fact that they're both in on the same time of the day, but they're also both you know, key European rounds to each calendar. Um, right. So so that provides a problem um, in that, you know, a lot of fans, you know, a lot of, you know, think of KTM, for instance. They have a lot of fans that obviously pack out, the, you know, pack out their home race in, in Spielberg. If you have clashes with other rounds, that's going to be difficult. Um, where else are we? Um into August, um, the Hungarian Formula One Grand Prix clashes with Bruno um, in MotoGP. That's, that's a Bruno- another backlash. That's another one, considering that Bruno is already suffering as it is with attendances based on the fact that it's so close to Austria um, a week later. That's not going to do the attendance any good at all. Um, so there is your next problem. Formula One then doesn't return again until September, so we're safe for clashes there. Um, that does make me think why there is a three-week gap between Silverstone and Misano in MotoGP, Dre, because there are two Formula One races in that gap. Spa and Monza uh, are in the two right. weekends in between, that's so maybe that's why they've pushed 
um, the Mizano MotoGP round back a week. That said, Singapore Formula One crashes, uh, clashes with Aragon MotoGP. Um, so that's another too clash. Bad. Singapore's a bit later, so that's not, yeah, too, not that's too not clash. too bad. Not too bad. So we might get away with that one. Into October, clashes are unavoidable based on how many races we've got. Um, so the 13th of October, the Japanese Formula One Grand Prix at Suzuka. Um, at the moment, in fact, that's all right. It's the uh, it's the next round, the Mexican Grand Prix. Uh, 27th of October clashes with Philip Island MotoGP. Um, and finally, the Brazilian Grand Prix in Formula One does clash with the MotoGP season finale at Valencia. Um, so, so there are at least what seven or eight clashes there, uh, which which I guess is un, is unavoidable based on how big these calendars are growing. But yeah, Dre, that 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 problem is only going to increase the more MotoGP expands. Exactly. There'd normally only be two or three a season between the two, and there's seven next season. That's like the ones like Bruno and like the ones like Assen and you know cl- like clashing. Like that is an awful yeah, clash. Austria F1. Yeah, you're, you're going to be making motorsport fans pick or choose between one or the other. You don't want people choosing between two similarly placed rounds or two similarly two similar Hungary as well. That's an awful pair of clashes. I, mean, I guess it's unavoidable to a degree, but. You're not doing either company any favors with that one. Um, so, as far as I'm concerned, that is uh, not good. Yeah, and they're kind of painted into a corner as well because they can't. You know, Bruno is back to back with Austria, so you can't push Bruno back a week. Um, mm-hmm. And if you bring it forward a week, you're reducing the summer breakdown. Um, mm-hmm. So, so they're kind of painted into a corner now with that with MotoGP. So they're, they're just essentially going to have to go with it. Um, and you know, Formula One's sort of changed to its own schedule um, for this season of running the races an hour later might well rescue MotoGP of that clash uh, in that MotoGP might be able to get its race run at one o'clock UK time and then the Formula One race yeah. will follow that. Um, I think they're essentially the, the championships are going to have to try and work together here. And I, I think Ross Braun has said this, hasn't he? Um, publicly yeah. recently. They, they're they're going to try and work closely with other championships to try and minimise the amount of clashes, which is only going to be a good thing because... Surely these guys, yes, they're competition, but equally, they both if they clash with each other, both championships suffer. Exactly, it's it's in their best interest to work together to find a way so everybody makes them. A lot of them are broadcast by the same TV company. Exactly, you know, so a lot of them have you know share TV networks. A lot of them share their sports coverage. It just makes more sense if they can find a way to work together to uh, uh, avoid the mitigation on clashes and just find a way to get shit done like it's like i said it's in their best interests to be this way it's 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 a pointless clashing job for the sake of it so if ross Braun's willing to extend the olive branch and say to say to dawn and say to carmelo listen we've both got you know, we, we, we're both rivals at the end of the day but ultimately it's good for both of us if we can find a mutual agreement to you know you know, stay out of each other's way and try to have as little clashes as possible. That totally makes sense. So, and I, and I finally remembered know. the the point I was trying to make, which I completely got the wrong way around when I was talking about the clash between the uh, these Austrian uh, Formula One round and the Dutch uh, TT and Assen MotoGP. Um, is it just me, Dre, or are a lot of the fan? I don't know whether they're independent F1 and MotoGP fans or whether they a lot of them follow the same follow both sports. But is it just me, or are a lot of the fans that go to Spielberg? I don't know. Dutch that cheer on Max Verstappen. Just a, just a, just a touch. Um, yes, you're absolutely right. Um, thinking back to Austria and of course the big deal of it being a Verstappen win, almost on home soil, near or near near enough. 
the whole of there was a whole orange grandstand of Max Verstappen fans. Let's not forget this. Like it was a sea of orange in the background, um, and of course they had they they had the perfect result. They had a Verstappen victory to talk about the, this past season. But of course it's the Red Bull ring. They're going to drive down there in droves, and mm. you know they've always had a close affiliation. Um, obviously that that's that is Red Bull's home round. So of course there's going to be a lot of hyper publicity towards that, given they're an Austrian team. So yeah, like it's a massive deal having Verstappen down there. And you're going to be running an F1 race away from there. Oh, God, that is a really bad idea. Like, yeah. The more thing about it, the worse that clash gets. Yeah, it is. And I mean, like I say, I, there may well be a lot of those who are F1 fans and F1 fans only uh, who don't follow MotoGP at all. But it's not, I don't think it's unreasonable to think that there's got to be a, a good portion of those who are motorsport fans who also watch MotoGP. I mean, MotoGP is huge in the Netherlands. Um, you know the, the Dutch TT in Assen is one of the Netherlands, if not the biggest sporting single sporting event that the Netherlands holds at the moment. Um, it's it's a huge deal for them. Um, you know that Grand Prix has so much tradition attached to it, and you've got to think that because Assen will be well aware of the impact Max Verstappen is having uh, in that country because there's talk of Formula One going there. Um, so so they they will be looking at that calendar thinking. Yeah, can we have a word about this, guys? Now, it, it is tradition for Assen to be on the last weekend of June. So, in many ways, that's not going to move. But your yeah, Formula 1 aren't going to move, are they? They're not going to move their race to accommodate another series because that's not how they do things. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, bit of a problem where that's concerned for next year. Um, and it will be interesting to see if, in any way, the attendance for the uh, Dutch TT at Assen next year is affected uh, by having a Formula 1 race elsewhere in Europe with, you know, a... Very heavily supported Dutch driver, bringing a lot of fans with him. Um, elsewhere on next year's calendar, we've already told you about the uh, German Grand Prix and the San Marino Grand Prix, which are taking place next year. They'll be taking place at the same circuits as this year, Misano and the Saxon Ring. Um, first of all, on the Saxon Ring, Drake, there were suggestions that this circuit's place on the calendar may be under a little bit of threat, with the Nürburgring waiting in the wings. Um, Nürburgring, which of course has held World Superbike rounds as recently uh, as 2013. Mm-hmm. Um, now, depending on whether you like Saxon Ring as a circuit or not, that's kind of irrelevant at the moment. But what do you think about this as a MotoGP venue for next year? I mean, it seems to be a circuit that the public that travel to it very much like, and it's it is one of the yes. you know it's one of the better attended rounds on the calendar. So in that sense, it's a perfectly understandable decision of MotoGP to keep it here. Yeah, I think I think that was ultimately the smart call on this one. I feel like that is a popular round. Every time I see it on TV, the fans turn up in droves. They they seemingly like for me, they seem to love it. They genuinely love this round. And yeah, you know, um, you know, it, it draws big attention. It sells out every year. It's okay. It's not the most glamorous round in the world. It's not in the best location. It's not a marquee round by any stretch, but. It is a round that I think generates a lot of fan support and a lot of buzz. I think I think Germany is a growing bike scene um, and, and whatnot, and I think it's critical it stays on the calendar. I've, I don't think the Nürburgring has that same level yeah, of appeal. More than 190,000 fans went to the Saxon Ring this year. Yeah, that's a massive audience, and uh, for you know, and Germany hasn't got the most the most amount of prestige in bike races. To still draw one hundred ninety thousand is massive over yeah. the course. And that of, well, that was yeah. without a regular German rider in the top class to support until Bradl stepped yeah. in at the last minute. Yeah, Bradl stepped in at the last minute, but even before then, like we've had Bradl's not been in the top flight for two years now, and 
and even so, like the, there still is a there's still a massive audience out there that's willing to come down and watch. Uh, you know, Rossi and Marquez are transcendent stars, and people will go out of their way to this to this round to go to go watch it. So I don't I don't see why it was ever at risk. I, I thought it was one of those staple rounds you don't get rid of, but. Hey, maybe maybe there's maybe there's something that I don't. But yeah, uh, maybe I, I don't think, know whether uh, the circuit was short of money or something. I don't know. Yeah, it was strange, yeah. wasn't it, that the Nurburgring was suddenly uh, waiting in I the think, wings. I think I think common sense prevailed on this one. I'm glad. Hmm. I'm I'm glad the Saxon Ring is staying. It's a, it's a it's a good round and it's one that's certainly worth keeping. Yeah, Dre's Dre's glad that it's staying on the calendar next season, but not half as glad as Mark Marquez is. Uh, because because uh, yeah, that's uh, that's probably one uh, win you could probably chalk down to Mark for next season. Um, mm. That as he goes for what would that be for nine in a row next year or ten would it be next year um, at the Saxon Ring? Um, one of the races that's definitely happening next year and for the next three years. It's extended its contract until 2021. That is Mizano. Um, and uh, true to form, as Dawn, uh, that's the way they do things. They announced it on the uh, weekend of this season's uh, Grand Prix. There, they announced it today, um, and. Uh, this one, again, makes perfect sense. It's pretty uh, logical, I suppose, Dre, that for as long as Valentino Rossi is in MotoGP, there will be a race at Misano. Yeah, I wonder what will happen after he retires. I'm not sure if... I wonder if it will generate the same level of buzz without Valentino, but, but there'll probably still be a, a sea of yellow um, <laughs> as far as the eye can see at Misano. But um, no, again, as long as Valentino Rossi is there, not to mention his growing as ever growing academy and just the brand of vr 46 general which is off the charts in in terms of motorsport um like why wouldn't you have masano on there as, as rossi's basically home round at this point you know it's Magello too in terms of fan supporter it packs out it over it overcrowds masano that's how big it is now when it comes to rossi and um as long as he's there it's a no-brainer you you keep masano on the round as long as vr 46 is on the grid in some capacity hmm, absolutely um we've got more GP news to bring you uh, later in the show. Um, as as mentioned, we kind of teed this up earlier on in the show. If you were following today's pre-event press conference, you'll know exactly what we're going to talk about later on. Um, but we'll talk about that when we preview this weekend's Grand Prix, which we'll do at the end of the show. Um, but we have one piece of World Superbike news to bring you before we do start looking into this weekend, and that surrounds Chaz Davis, um, who's broken his right collarbone. Uh, now, I know you might think we've told you this once already during this World Superbike summer break, but no, believe me, he's done it again. Um, now, <laughs> Um, he, he did this at Aragondre. I don't know whether Chaz Davis is just clumsy or he's just that unlucky. Yes. Um, <laughs> a, I mean, it says a lot, first of all, about how long the World Superbike summer break is that a rider can break his collarbone twice in between rounds and possibly not even miss a single race. If Rebecca James was still here, she'd be having a fit right about now. She, uh, given her the long-running joke of her hating training regimes for bike riders. But um, Jesus Christ. Yeah, like... Chaz has done it again, and like, uh, like, luckily again, as you say, the, the summer break is so long. I mean, with it being a ten-week break, you uh, you can you can afford an injury. Amazingly, given bike riders being bike riders, it's totally acceptable for you to be able to come back like that. And yeah, the the, the blessing for Chaz is that he, he doesn't need surgery on it. Um, he can just rehabilitate it and hopefully be fit enough to race in Portimao next weekend. Um, so you know, that's the aim for Ducati going forward. I mean, it would be the final nail in, in Jonathan Ray's championship coffin here, really, if uh, Chaz couldn't race at Portimao either. But um, you know, as, as inevitable as that sounds at this point. But um, yeah, like it's, it's a shame, Chaz. I like, wish, wish him a speedy one because got to break the same collarbone twice in one summer break sounds really painful. Um mm. So yeah, um, another another painful uh, 
uh, nailing the coffin of uh, training regimes for you. <laughs> yeah, he is. Um, just to give you the details on his injury, because um, uh, Aruba.it Ducati revealed an update on his condition on Monday, which is why you're telling you, we're talking about it this week rather than last week. Um, Ducati have confirmed that Davies suffered a refracture um, with partial separation in the right collarbone. Surgery will not be necessary, which is the good news. Um, and he will now focus on rehabilitating and strengthening with the goal to be fit for round 10 in Portugal, which is, well, as we speak now, uh, nine or 10 days from now, depending on whether we're talking about race one or race two um, of the weekend. So he's not got long to get himself ready, um, but it does look as if he is going to at least try and race next weekend. Um, as mentioned, we will have Greg, uh, Greg Haynes on the show next week to look ahead to um, what comes for the closing rounds of the World Superbike Championship as we head to Portimao, Magnicor, um, Argentina, the new circuit at El Villacom, and the final round under the lights in Qatar. Um, we'll also get Greg's view on everything that's happened since we last spoke to him as, uh, of course, Yamaha have become uh, World Superbike winners since we last spoke to Greg. And Jonathan Ray has essentially put the championship out of reach. Um, we'll discuss all of that and much more with Greg Haynes on uh, next week's second show uh, of the two that we'll bring you next week. That'll be episode uh, 78 uh, of Bike Live next week. Um, right then, let's look ahead to this weekend and look ahead to the final round of the regular British Superbike season. Um, it is the uh, showdown decider, if you like, um, as we decide which six riders will go on and compete in it at Silverstone or at least half of Silverstone, uh, as they run on the national layout. Um, now, it, there's almost two sort of two championships taking place in one this weekend, aren't there, Drake? Because there's the main story, I guess, for us of which riders are going to make the overall six. But also there's the kind of championship within a championship of Jake Dixon, Josh Brooks, Glenna, with the riders that we are pretty much already assuming are going to make it, whether they score many points this weekend or not but are going to have to try and rack up as many podium credits just to give themselves that extra leg up before the showdown does start. Yeah, every little helps at this point. Um, it's hard not to lean towards Leon Haslam again here. Um, of course, given how dominant he's been this season, and if we can take another double here and put another 10 points um, in, in the back pocket ahead of the showdown, um, you might you might call this one done already, believe it or not. But uh um, yeah, like the rest of the field, like like Dixon probably needs at least one win, but he can. We, we all know he struggles to win outside of outside of Knock Hill. Um, maybe Josh Brooks, maybe Brooks can get involved in this one. He's another guy that could probably do a few extra podium credits, given how strong he is at Rand's Hatch. That he could be the key uh, disruptor in uh, for me in this in this title fight um, between Haslam and basically Haslam versus the world at this point. But. Uh, yeah, you're absolutely right. It's it's a critical round. I mean, again, three races, potentially 15 podium credits um, up for grabs, as well as you know the the final fight for what seemingly is probably going to be the last two showdown spots, mathematically speaking, mm. realistically. Yeah, I mean, well, yeah, I mean, let's discuss that. For me, it's the last one. I mean, Haslam, yeah. Haslam, and Dixon are mathematically in. Um, so yes. in many ways, forget Guaranteed. them. Um, even with 75 points up for grabs this weekend, they cannot be caught by uh, the rider in seventh. Uh, Glenn Irwin isn't mathematically in yet um to give you the actual um true mathematics on it um he needs uh eight points or more this weekend from the three races to get in and that's assuming that seventh place danny Buchan wins all three um mm -hmm. so it's highly unlikely that Owen's going to knock be knocked out so even if he doesn't turn up this weekend uh, which he will do. Um, he's probably in, as is Brooks, um, who's only 13 points worse off. So he mathematically only needs 21 points to be absolutely guaranteed to make it in. 
Um, mm -hmm. Bradley Ray is slightly less safe. He's on 159. So he has, as we stand at the moment, 40 points over Danny Buchan. Um, but again, Danny Buchan on his own may struggle to reach 40 points over three races this weekend. So Bradley Ray is probably saved two. In actuality, it is probably three going for the final spot, currently held yeah. by Peter Hickman. Uh, he's on 126 points. Uh, Danny Buchan on 119. Christian Iden on 116. Um, now, before we talk about those three riders, Dre, I mean, does the fact that this is going to be run on the national layout rather than the international Grand Prix layout just kind of throw everything up in the air? Because we've got no past history or form, really, to base this weekend on. I mean, last weekend we raced on the Grand Prix layout and we've seen Peter Hickman win on the Grand Prix layout before. Uh, I remember him winning on the opening weekend of 2016 there when he beat Shaky Byrne in a, in a final lap battle uh, yeah, to win around Silverstone. But that's no use to him around the national circuit, is it? It's a different ball game entirely. Um, you're, you're basically cutting out two-thirds of the track um, on, on this one, given how massive Silverstone is, especially now when it's even longer layout now um, in more modern terms after the revamp. But so uh, the national circuit is... is is you know unchanged in um under all those uh structures and circuit layouts and whatnot it's it's very straightforward as a as a track in general it's going to be a lot like the brands hatch indie round from where i'm sitting mm, yeah. um, um that's what it's going to remind me of who knows maybe luke mossy might get involved on that one given how strong he was there last year even though i'm not sure what's going on with mossy these days mm. um but like like you say there's no real precedent for this we don't really know what's going to happen because it's, it's it's an entirely different track really at this point once you're going from national layout to grand prix layout it's a different track entirely. Only really, I'd say about 30% of it is the same as what the Grand Prix layout would be. Um, so goodness only knows what's going to happen. I mean, like hard accelerating bikes, bikes with, with, with good top end speed are probably going to do well here. Bikes have got a lot of acceleration will probably end up doing very well here. Um, corner X is going to be absolutely critical around here as well, given it's going to be a, a relatively straightforward circuit with not a lot of places you can gain time on each other. So like slipstreaming, corner exit, maximizing corner exit, that's probably going to be the keys around here. But goodness only knows what's going to happen with, with on this one. Yeah, they're uh, they're predicting a sort of 50 to 55 second lap um, around the national circuit. From memory, the only, the only series of any sort of distinction that I can think of that runs around the national circuit regularly is the British Touring Car Championship. Mm -hmm. um, they race around the national circuit purely because for cars that go at their, their sort of speeds, racing around the Grand Prix light would simply just take ages. It would, it would make them look slow. Um, so I think that's why they do it. Um, the British Superbikes will be able to get around there, much like MotoGP do. They'll probably only be about 10 seconds slower than the MotoGP bikes, and they get around in sort of just over two minutes. Um, and we've seen them race around there before, and, it, and it's gone very well. But they just simply do not want to take the risks that... Uh, MotoGP fall foul of, of if it rains on Saturday and Sunday for the three races and, you know, Stowe Corner and Vale and Club are too slippery to run, then they have a problem. And we all remember how BSB Race 3 went last year um, <laughs> when, it, when it rained like hell on the Sunday and yet they still ran the final race because it was deciding the showdown spots. Um, right. and only six were running when they finally red flagged it. Um, mm -hmm. So the National Circuit neatly cuts that part of the track out. Um, for those that don't know it, uh, I did tell you about this last week. It essentially only has about five or six corners on it um, because yeah. they, they go through cops. They then, instead of going through Maggots, Beckett's and Chapel, they turn off right at Maggots and go down the Wellington Strait um, mm -hmm. down towards Brooklands. They then go through the rest of the lap, Brooklands, uh, Lawfield, and then Woodcut. That is it. That is your circuit. 
Um, so we're going to have 25 odd bikes going around there over three races this weekend. So it's going to be frenetic. Well, it's going to be mm. busy. It's going to be 30 lap races. So three 30 lap races for you this weekend. Um, so yeah, anything can happen. Uh, in terms of who we think is going to get that final showdown spot, Dre, if we assume that the top five are likely to get in. Um, yeah. Hickman surely goes in as the favourite for two reasons. One, because he's the guy currently sick, so he's got the points advantage going in. Awesome. But also because of the three in contention, uh, with all due respect to the likes of Halloran and Larity, um, of the three in contention, Hickman, Buchan and Iden, it's Hickman's results that have been trending upwards lately. Yeah, I would certainly say he's the man in form. Had two podiums at Fruxton a month ago. Had another fourth place at Cadwell Park. Those are the sorts of places you want to be finishing if you're thinking about a showdown spot, getting in the top six. And Hickman's done that pretty well lately. He's always been a consistently solid rider who, does, who doesn't make very many mistakes um, out on track. Maybe if he doesn't have the ultimate pace to win frequently, he certainly is a consistent guy who knows where the limits is on his bike. And that in itself is, is, is crucial over a season to get into the showdown. So, yeah, Hickman having seven points in hand on Danny Bucken, who, you know, Bucken probably has a little bit more upside than him at this point if the Kawasaki is on form, but having three DNFs in the last four races certainly is an ideal leader. Um, he's the guy going through the rough patch. And Christian Iden, who is, you know, he's been here before. He runs well around Silverstone. He runs well in the wet in general. So if it does rain, you know, and they can still run the national layout, I think Iden could, could very well be a contender there but he's got 15 points to make up. That's a lot when you're only fighting over midfield positions, but he's the most consistent, I'd say top six level guy out of the three. Um, for, for my money, I think Hickman, I think Hickman will hold on. I think he's the man in form. And I think, you know, he's again, he's been here before last, last year. He knows where the line is on that BMW. Um, and I think he's been a little bit better than Niden this season, despite the, the pair of DNFs in there. I'm not fully convinced on Danny Bucken just yet. I think I think Bucken could do it, but I, if if I had to pick, I, I would go with Hickman to keep that spot. Hmm. Yeah, I have to say, in terms of you know who I would expect and who I would predict to get in, I agree with you. I think Hickman's the guy likeliest to get in. But just for a moment to discuss the other two. I mean, Danny Bucken has seven points to make up, but. Just as a pure, as a story for this season, just how big a story and how great an achievement would it be, given where Danny Bucken has been and where he, you know, given that he's essentially back in the series this season, almost like a rookie again. He's, he has raced in yes. Superbikes before, but it was as a very inexperienced rider and he, he struggled with it. This is his first, you know, full season since returning. He's still a very young rider. What a tremendous achievement it would be if Danny Bucken, on a very skint, independent Kawasaki, somehow made it in. It would be awesome. It would be a great story, um, you know, especially for a guy who doesn't even have a Wikipedia. Kind of says it all, really, um, for Bucken. Um, but again, he's a very talented kid. He always has been. Um, was unlucky not to be in the series last season and lose his spot. I don't think he ever really deserved to to, to be in that position, to be honest with you. Um, but he's come back. He's come back swinging this year. He's he, he, and, you know, as the season has gone on. Up until he had that bad run of form at Froxton, he was getting better, but he was getting better round by round and getting more comfortable and more confident on that Kawasaki. Um, and yeah, as a, from a, from a, given he's riding for a really really small team, um, and you know he's, he's he's scrapping just 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 to get into this fight again after being a, a year out and as an inexperienced guy for FS3 racing, that would be a great story if Bucking could get in. Mm, yeah, uh, it would be fantastic. Um, 
The aforementioned Adam Johnson is listening live as we speak, and he rightly says fame can always be judged on whether one has a Wikipedia page or not. Um, of course. We, uh, we but- No doubt Danny Buchan will have one uh, if he makes the showdown, surely. Um, but we shall see. Um, yeah, he's. I think he's still got a great chance because of when we look at his um, season as a whole, he has been very, very consistent. He's always been in that sort of top eight to top ten range. Um, including two podiums, a fourth and two fifths as well, when he's got it right on a weekend. And his three DNFs have come from very competitive positions, haven't they? I mean, he was fighting in that front group when he went off at Cadwell in that first race, and he was famously knocked off uh, at Thruxton by Bradley Ray in one of the two races there, um, when he surely would have scored points. So in many ways, the reason Buchan's still not in the top six as it is is because of some misfortune in the last two rounds. But he'll be hoping um, that things go his way again this weekend. As far as Eden's concerned, though, Dre, you've, you've already touched on how good he will be in the wet, and that could necessarily be his trump card this weekend if we get wet weather again at Silverstone. Um, but he, he he continues to be the British superbike nearly man, doesn't he? And it just looks the way it's going as if he's going to be that nearly man again. It's looking that way. Um, again, you know, how much of that will ultimately boil down to the fact he missed Dalton Park, I wonder. Another because he's only had a due to injury. It's what cost him yeah, last year. Not, yeah, same as same story as last year. Because he missed four races last year, and he probably should have gotten in, and he just. Um, and yeah, Eden is a very good bike rider in this class. You know, like at his best, he's a guy that can challenge for victories uh, on on a consistent basis. He's been he was getting better and better last year till he injured himself. He was running in leading groups and you know getting on the podium and thinking about victories. Never quite put it together to get that first win, but. He's a guy that, again, on a good day, he is an extremely good rider um, and one that could certainly have the upside to steal a few points off the other two in this fight here. Um, again, I wonder how much of it would it boil down to him missing Alton Park for injury. Because that could have been that could have been nasty. But if, you, you look at his season. Besides that, so many top six appearances. Like like that's exactly where you want to be. And. He's just said he's been very unlucky um, to 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 you know be a situation where maybe one missed weekend is enough to, for him to you know not win the championship, which would be a real shame for him, um, given his talent and ability. But uh, I guess we'll have to wait and see what happens. Um, yeah, yeah, on that I think one. it would it would reflect, I have to say, very poorly on Tyco BMW as well if they can't get Eden in because I've just been going back and looking through it. This would be if it if it does go wrong for in this weekend, or if you can't make that ground, it would be the third consecutive season that Tyco BMW have failed to get either rider in the showdown. Um, That's not good for which wouldn't be good, especially when you consider that in each of those seasons a BMW has made it in, um, but not in the them. form in the form of um, be it Kianari or be it be it um, Peter Hickman, of course, in recent years making it in on BMWs. Um, the last time Taiko BMW made the showdown was when Michael Laverty last won a race, famously at the final round of 2015 in uh, Josh Brooks's uh, almost clean I was sweep of the air. Jerry was there when uh, Josh Brooks nearly completed almost a clean sweep of the showdown until he crashed in that final race once he'd stuck the number one stickers on his bike. Um, Whoops. Yeah, um, as if uh, as if by fate. So yeah, that was the last time that Taiko had a bike rider in the showdown. This is a team that we associate as being one of the premier teams in this championship. Um, mm-hmm. They had Laverty and Eden in 2015 when they ended the season in 8th and 9th, uh, respectively. In fact, Michael Laverty did win the first race of that season um, at Silverstone the same weekend that Hickman won um, uh, on that weekend. So uh, it, it's, it's strange how their performances, they almost seem to flatter to deceive that team uh, and not get a rider in. The showdown ultimately, of course, last year, as I mentioned, 
Um, BMW did have a rider in in the form of Peter Hickman, who finished fourth overall. Christian Iden ended up winning the Riders' Cup, which is what he may end up fighting for this season. Uh, we shall see. Uh, full uh, review of next week or this weekend's British Superbike action as the Showdown Six are set. Um, that's this weekend of Silverstone, and we'll review it on the second of next week's two episodes uh, of Bike Live. That will be episode seventy-eight. Right then, we've put it off no longer. Let's talk about events at Misano coming up this weekend, and more to the point, events at Misano today. Um, ahead of the San Marino Grand Prix at Misano, famous for being the home round, of course, for one Valentino Rossi, and Valentino Rossi has made the headlines again today, um, along with Mark Marquez. Uh, now I mentioned this earlier on; it's one of the big rivalries in all of motorsport, really, not just motorcycle racing. Um, Valentino Rossi and Mark Marquez, their history is well documented, going back to uh, the events of 2015, Sepang, and obviously what happened a week prior at Phillip Island, um, and what's sort of gone wrong between them since because they famously came to blows earlier this season in Argentina where any kind of thought of a thawing relationship really went out the window when Marquez and Rossi tangled there mm-hmm. um, now to give you a bit of the sort of to explain how today went um, Mar- Marquez had spoken earlier this week uh, in an interview um, I believe it was to an, to Italian TV um, where he said to Sky in Italy, in Italy he said I would like to make peace with Rossi um, I'll, I'll give you some of his quotes from this interview. Yeah, it was to Sky Sports uh, MotoGP in Italy. Um, he said, I would like to make peace with him. I have no problem with Valentino. In Argentina, everything was quieter. I made a mistake and with it came bad luck with Rossi. I also tried to apologise. Um, he was also asked about the um, his view on the booings that he gets, um, which me and Dre were discussing pre-show. Um, he says, do, mm. do the whistles on the podium bother me? No. More than anything else, I do not like them. It's like football. I support Barcelona, but when Real Madrid win and play better, I applaud opponents who deserve the three points. I don't like them because we are on track at 300 kilometers per hour. Per hour. We risk our life every time we get on the bike. If you are a fan, you like to see overtaking, not the colours of those who race. I have always asked my fans to respect all the riders because after one race, there is another one. Life goes on. It would be nice if we all went blank. Um, now, those comments were put to... Marquez and Valentino Rossi in a press conference today when they were asked about some sort of peace meeting. Valentino Rossi suggested there was no need for it. Um, There was a second question, a follow-up question to both riders. Um, Would you consider shaking each other's hand? Mark Marquez offered his hand to Valentino Rossi, Dre, and didn't get a hand back uh, from Valentino. (sighs) Oh, boy. <laughs> it was about as cringeworthy as live television. This was live on TV, in front of the world's media, the whole world watching, and Valentino Rossi sort of, like, half laughs at Mark and just sort of, like, shakes his head. Um, and to be fair, Mark handled it brilliantly, um, <laughs> given that he'd essentially just been pie-faced by, by Valentino Rossi on live TV, having offered him a handshake. Mark Marquez kind of just sort of laughed it off, and as if he was to say to the media, see what I mean? I mean, it was... It was, it was, it was, it was a... Surreal moment, as typified by the look on Andrea Davizioso's face in the background, um, as he was uh, sort of coming to terms with how awkward the whole moment was. Um, now, it, it, again, it was another moment, Dre, that kind of just put into focus just how tribal MotoGP fan supporters got these days. We've we've had it discussed on Motorsport One earlier this year about the tribal nature of fan support regarding Hamilton and Vettel. Um, and in the past, Hamilton and Rosberg. Um, and how neither side is going to see things from the other's point of view. It's, it's got to that point now where the two are complete polar opposites, where they're never going to see eye to eye on things. 
And it got to the point today where obviously Valentino Rossi was getting... There's almost like there's no middle ground now. Valentino Rossi was getting rightly criticised for failing to, you know, take that olive branch from Mark. But then Mark's getting criticised for trying to score PR points. Seriously? Yeah, I, I almost get the feeling that Mark can't win if he tries here. Yeah. Now, don't get me don't get me wrong. Like, I've spoken extensively about this on Motorsport 101. I even I even won the video rants talking about it, ended up making it on YouTube, and one who, who was responsible for that one. But, mm-hmm. um, no, it's always been a situation where, I, to a degree, I understand why Hamilton and Vettel are so polar opposites, because they are polar opposites as people. I get that. Hamilton is, is, is more of a showman. He's flashy. He's... You know he's he's very much out there. He's 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 the brand guy. He's the guy that will go out of his way to enhance F1 outside of F1. He takes it to circles it never normally is. Sebastian, he grew up a farmer's boy. You know, he, like he's he he's quiet. He keeps a lot of his personal life private, which I'm still applauding how he's able to do it in 2018. He's the only driver with zero social media influence whatsoever even Kimi Raikkonen has a friggin Instagram now and 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 Sebastian's the only driver in the field that doesn't have any social media whatsoever so to a degree I get why they're so tribal because they are two very different drivers two very different situations Um, two you know the two two of the three biggest teams in F1 as well Mercedes have got a huge following in in Europe Ferrari of course are Ferrari Need, need I say more I get it with these two, I don't get it so much, and like, it essentially, like, it's essentially come from one big flashpoint, and in many respects, a narrative that has been created by Valentino Rossi himself. I, I completely agree. I think all of it has come from Valentino when it comes to the narrative that oh, I have to hate, I have to hate Mark Marquez. Marquez is the enemy, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Do you know like, what? I, I don't know the, if you've seen this, Dre, but uh, I think it was Scott Redding put on Instagram today. Um, yeah. He sort of referenced that incident, and so he basically put that famous photo that's probably going to make our thumbnail, in all, in all honesty, um, of yeah. Mark with his hand outstretched and Valentino Rossi not looking in any way interested. Um, and mm. Scott Redding asked uh, his Instagram followers what they thought of it, and I saw yeah. at least well, I saw and this was like five minutes after I'd seen a number of comments already saying we never forget 2015. Like, yeah, like they, they still genuinely believe even now that that was a stitch up job. I'd like to remind everybody here that Mark Marquez has very little to answer for in that incident. Like, it's like the most you could you could say was that he was over aggressive against the sacred code of bike racing, which doesn't really exist. Um, and as I've mentioned, like the guy that spun this rivalry up over the last three years since has pretty much all come from the camp of Valentino Rossi in some capacity. Don't get me wrong, Marquez was a bit of an idiot. But I don't think that was him being malicious. That was just the red mist that got that descended on Marcus, and he was desperate to make up points because he was so much faster than everybody else. And remember, let's not forget, Marquez immediately tried to apologize. Like he, he knew he was in the wrong, and he, he, he tried his best to rectify the situation. All of this has come from Valentino. I remember, I remember, I was at Johnson's house when he watched Aragon the year afterwards, and there was an extensive. I think it was almost ten minute interview with Valentino with Susie Perry, and he called Marquez an idiot, like, like which is completely uncalled for. Called him an idiot on British television in English for the world to hear on BT Sport, and I was like, I remember seeing it at Silverstone. Um, I think it was, I think it was last year when when Valentino Rossi was asked a question about Mark. No, it was it was it was 2016 after their brilliant battle at Silverstone. Um, yeah, and he and he said that he still feels that Mark races differently against him 
um, than he does around everyone else. And he said that he he felt it was a different battle to the one that they had at at the end of 2015 because he felt that they were both racing for the same thing. I remember those words vividly. He said, we were both Mm -hmm. racing for the same thing. Um, Whereas referencing that in that previous incident, famously um, at uh, Sepang, that they obviously, in uh, in Valentino Rossi's view, were not. Um, Now... I've got quite strong views on this, and they've got stronger the more I've thought about it, about Valentino Rossi, who says that they don't need to shake hands. Um, now, I'll give you Valentino Rossi's comments first. Um, sure. Because, um, you know, Mark was... Um, obviously, Mark was offering the olive branch. He tried to shake hands, having been asked about his comments about wanting to make peace. He said, for me, it's nice. Of course, it's no problem for me. Let's shake hands a second time. It's not a problem for me. Rossi's reply was, we don't need to shake hands. It's okay. We don't have any problems. Um, now, like I say, I've got I've got strong views on this. First of all, as Dre said earlier on before we started, if you have no problems, shake his hand then, um, first of all. But secondly, I, I want to refer back to Mark Marquez's comments about the fact he gets booed constantly. Um, mm. Now, I would have loved to have been in that press conference and asked Valentino Rossi whether he agrees with riders being booed. Because I'm sure deep down he wouldn't want to be booed. Um, on the podium of a MotoGP race, but of course he's never going to be because he's Valentino Rossi and he's the most popular rider in motorsport never. as as it is. Um, mm-hmm. But the vitriol that Mark Marquez is subjected to on a weekendly basis in MotoGP almost entirely comes from the way he has been portrayed by Valentino. Um, and when you know Valentino Rossi talks about we don't need to shake hands, I'm sorry, Valentino, you do. Because the moment you refuse to shake Mark Marquez's hand, all of the vitriol that Mark Marquez has been subjected to and all the accusations at how he stitched Valentino Rossi up in 2015 just gets dragged up all over again. It's amplified. Yeah, you're right. It's absolutely amplified by doing that. If you really do genuinely not have a problem with Mark Marquez anymore, I don't see any reason why you don't shake his hand. All you're doing now is you're planting the seeds of doubt in the minds of your fans. The fans that... You know, a lot of them, you know, rightly or wrongly, hate Mark Marquez for that very reason. He will always be brought up as a critical incident, which is ironic given 2006. But hey, um, who's keeping score here? Like I said, it's it's one of those things where, yeah, if if like by not shaking his hand, you're basically amplifying all the shit that came up before. It's like you're sending a message to your fans of, no, we still don't trust this guy. No, we don't like him. I'm not going to shake his hand because, you know, we don't have a problem, but I'm just going to make it more awkward than it needs to be. I, I, I don't I don't get the logic behind it. Like, what Like what do you get from not shaking his hand? What's some sort of deep dissatisfaction? It, it doesn't make any sense to me. Like, it, it's, it's toxic. And like I said, it is only going to amplify that feeling further by not shaking his hand because now you're perpetrating and broadcasting in the eyes of your fans that this guy is still not worth liking. And I'm not saying you have to like Mark Marquez. All I am saying is he deserves more respect than than people bringing up incidents from three years ago. Where let's not forget he was probably more of the victim in that incident than we give credit for, especially in the eyes of an audience that leans towards Valentino. So naturally, he's kind of swimming against the tide on this one. So from where I'm sitting, I completely agree with you, Lewis. I think I think Valentino owes it to himself and for the good of his audience and the guys who watch it's probably for the best in the grand scheme of things if you just 
let this go and just shake the man's hand and just bury the hatchet on TV. If Jorge Lorenzo is willing to do 2013 where he was bumped off at his own corner, I don't see any reason why Valentino Rossi can't do the same. Yeah, what I would have liked to have seen today, and maybe I'm being a bit too holistic and asking for too much. I'm not expecting them to be like they were in 2014 again. Where it was almost the uh, almost the master of the apprentice, and um, you know they were almost best mates, and they were hugging each other and kissing each other in part Ferme after races. Um, but I would almost been happy if Valentino Rossi said Valentino Rossi checked Mark Marquez's hand and said, "Do you know what? I'll, you know, you doesn't have to turn around and say I like Mark. Say a lot. I don't want to discuss this issue anymore. In the case, the matter is closed. Let's move on." Um, mm-hmm. you know, that's why I wanted to go. I don't want you to start turning up every weekend in '93 merch and saying that you love the guy. Just, just shake his hand and say, "Look, case is closed. Let's let's you know, let's forget about it. And let's move on." Um, mm-hmm. but, uh, like I say, as every time he, you know, fails to shake Mark Marquez's hand or does anything negative in direction of Mark Marquez, because as Dre's already referenced, it's not like Valentino Rossi has suddenly shut up about Sepang 2015 since, has he? He's continued to bring that story up, no. so. It's not even. He's, he's not giving it a chance to go away. And no, he's, he's bringing it up again. Half, yeah, he's, he's poked the bear on this one half a dozen yeah. times. Since and, 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 and I'm not saying that Valentino Rossi brings that up on his own. He obviously naturally, because it's such. It's it's probably the most notorious incident in MotoGP history. Um, what yeah. happened in Sepang 2015? So inevitably, there are going to be journalists that interview Valentino Rossi maybe for the first time ever, and are going to want to ask him about that. But he can just turn around and say, Do "You know what? That was three years ago. I don't want to talk about that anymore." Um, you know, it's happened, it's gone. But Valentino Rossi no, just cannot help himself. You know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of Bahrain in season when Hamilton and Verstappen, you know, rode over the edge at turn one and, you know, Verstappen, you know, tried to bully Hamilton and Hamilton was having none of it and Verstappen ended up being the victim. I remember on the hard camera after that race in Park Ferme, you could see Hamilton replay the video and replaying the incident on the big screen and Hamilton called him a dickhead. I, I've not forgotten that. It was blatantly obvious he called him a dickhead. And who was the guy that batted for Hamilton in that press conference? It was Sebastian Vettel, of all people, who said, no, wait a minute, guys. You guys are trying to stir the pot here. Like, okay, we all say things in the heat at the moment. It's over. It's happened. Let's all calm down and move on from it. And it, the sport would do so much better, and it would do so much good for everybody if Valentino would just come out and say, you know what? It happened three years ago. You could say it was a racing incident. It's happened. We've both moved on from it. Could we please stop bringing this up? But hmm. he's like, instead, instead of doing that, he's pouring gasoline when the fire's about to go out. I just yeah, don't because, understand. Because here we are discussing it. Uh, I mean, look, it's, 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 it's built us out of a corner because we have nothing to talk about this week. But in all seriousness, it's we're discussing the rivalry, the feud, the bad feeling between Valentino Rossi and Mark Marquez again. And... I'm not saying it wouldn't have been a story if the two had shaken hands today, because of course it would have been, but it would have been a great story for MotoGP, and we would have all been able to sit here and say, finally, Mark Marquez and Valentino Rossi have buried the hatchet, let's move on. Um, and, let's, let's, that, and let's never speak it about sucks, it again. Yeah. yeah, it sucks that the only handshake in recent times was the week that Luis Salon died. Mm. That kind of says it all, really. Mm. And, that's, and, and how much did that pick up the spirits of MotoGP fans across the world that weekend, when you know almost nothing could have made MotoGP fans smile, having seen such a tragedy occur earlier that weekend. But the sport as a whole smiled when it saw two riders they knew seemingly hated each other shake hands at the end of a Grand Prix. Um, you know that put so many smiles on faces that weekend. Um, but yeah, it, it almost feels like 
every time. And I don't know whether it's the media's sort of thirst to try and, like, see these two back on the same page again, that they will bring this up again and try and force a sort of truce between the two. Look, they don't like each other, fine. Um, let, let's leave it at that. But, you know, it's almost like the media, again, just sort of wants to try and force some sort of truce on these two guys. And, you know, some but people... But it's not even that. It's, it's obvious Marquez wants to bury this. He wouldn't yeah. offer a handshake. He, like, he's... Marquez has always been the more diplomatic about this. And if it, I'm sick, I don't think Marquez has ever tried to dredge this up. No. I think he's just got said that and got on with it for the most part. He doesn't like the booze, but he knows there's nothing he can do about that. It's got to come from the other side of the fence. Hmm. <laughs> and again, as I, as I said earlier on, and that, that's the part that I feel most strongly about, is that Valentino Rossi, in many ways, of course he had the opportunity to sort of bury this story and you know stop it being dragged up, but he also had an opportunity to stop one of his colleagues and the current world champion from getting booed every weekend. And he did not take that opportunity. Um, and that disappointed me, I've got to say. Um, moving on then to this weekend and what's to come this weekend. Of course, the championships are all up for grabs. Mark Marquez has a very comfortable 49-point lead. Whether he extends it this weekend remains to be seen because he's not got the greatest record around Mizano, has he? Um, he no. won last weekend, uh, sorry, last year in the wet um, because he famously was beaten in the dry um, by Valentino Rossi in, in 2014. He was beaten um, in the dry in 2016, where, of course, his teammate Danny Pedroza finally, uh, famously won. Um, both of Mark Marquez's wins around Mizano uh, have come in either wet conditions or, in the case of 2015, that madcap flag-to-flag race, which started dry, but then went wet and then finished dry again. Uh, the famous race where Bradley Smith and Scott Redding made the podium. Um, this weekend... It doesn't look like we're going to get a wet or a rain-affected race, although Friday and Saturday may be rain-affected. Mark Marquez is in that luxurious position, isn't he, where he doesn't really have to win. If this is a one of those special Valentino weekends that he tends to have on home soil, or even if this is a weekend where, once again, the Ducatis turn up and look dominant, Mark Marquez can just let that happen and mop up the points. I agree. Um, bookies can't call it. Marquez, very tight favourite over Jorge Lorenzo, 9 to compared to Lorenzo at 5-2. to a tremendous two. record around Mizana. Yeah, Lorenzo is super strong around here. Um, Dovi 3-1, to one. Valentino Rossi next up at 6s um, to take his home round. Um, so from where I'm sitting, this is anyone's guess, but you're right. Marquez has the luxury of now knowing that he doesn't need to win anymore. He, like, he, like, Mathematically speaking, it's out of everybody else's hands. Marquez can afford to follow a Ducati home at this point. If he can take a second or a third, that's absolutely fine right now. Because remember, the guy in second is Valentino, not the Ducatis. And they have one. They they were probably reading the most from not racing this Austin because of the fact that they had one less round to chase Marquez down in. Mm. And a round that was pretty much going to be open season, given how competitive Silverstone tends to be. It's a big open round that tends to be a bit of a nullifier for the field in general. So... Yeah, Marquez doesn't need to win. He could, if he if he switches the championship mode on, which he does quite a lot, and I think he will on this occasion because he's a he's a, he's very mature when it comes to winning titles. Now he knows what he's doing. He's got plenty of points in hand. He's going to be, I, and I think he's going to be thinking podium. Get on the podium, and 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 you know go, get on the podium and go from there. If anything else comes up, it's a bonus. If he has the bike to win, he will try to win. I have no doubt about that. But 
I think Marquez knows a podium right now would be more than enough to keep the championship flowing, not to make any mistakes, to mitigate any damage of the Ducatis could bring in, because it was the story of Dovi last year. Marquez's bad days are a lot better than Dovi's bad days, and that's how Marquez won the championship, um, at least from where I'm sitting. So top three is more than enough for Marquez right now. He doesn't need to go out and win this. If, but again, if the bike is there, he, he will certainly try. Yeah, absolutely. We we shall see how it goes this weekend. Of course, Moto2 and Moto3 in action as well. Italians lead both of those classes, as you know. Uh, Pekka Bagnaia, who was, uh, you know, you, you know you're starting to uh, make the national on the world consciousness when you're a rider in the lower classes and you're promoted into the pre-event press conference, as Pekka Bagnaia was today. Yes, um, As the Moto2 championship leader uh, ahead of the Italian Grand Prix, riding for Sky VR46, he leads Miguel Oliveira by three points. Um, going to this weekend, of course, Bagnaia missed the chance to extend his lead, um, despite having a 22-place uh, head start on the grid at Silverstone by virtue of the fact that that race not happening. Um, so he'll be looking to extend that this weekend. Oliveira looking to make the most of his reprieve. And, of course, Marco Bezzecchi, uh, another rider who has VR46 uh, involvement in his career, uh, he heads into this weekend's Moto3 race as the championship leader of that class as well. Whatever happens at both uh, Mizano and Silverstone this weekend... Uh, we'll review it across our two shows next week. Episode 77 of Bike Live of Mono here on Motorsport 101. We'll review the San Marino Grand Prix across all three classes. And episode 78, we'll review the some, uh, Silverstone BSB round and feature an interview with Greg Haynes of Eurosport. So do join us next week for those, as well as um, episode 160 uh, of Motorsport 101. And uh, Dre, you find yourself in the position that I found myself in this week, thinking, what on earth am I going to fill my set list with? Uh, uh, mm, this could be a problem. Um, <laughs> um, yeah. In case you haven't noticed, we haven't got anything to really talk about next week. Maybe um, Ferrari will put a handy press release out to uh, to fill that gap. Ferrari, if you're listening, um, now will be a good time to like, announce your little driver plans for next year. The future, we'll have a, we'll have a, we'll have a seventy Jimmy Raikkonen career retrospective. How about that? Um, <laughs> Uh, it'll be about 17 seconds long um but uh no um we will probably dig up the mailbag we might even go unscripted who knows um i'm leaning towards the mailbag option on this one um with a little bit of unscripted stuff coming in there as well and a bit of news so i i, I think we'll be able to patch together a half decent show even if there's no direct race to talk about on probably preview singapore as well and, of course, the IndyCar season finale at Sonoma the week after that. So mm. keep half an eye for that for episode 160. Um, we promise we'll have a set list by then, probably. Yeah, we it's shall good. see. We, we we don't do uh, skip weeks on this show. We, we, we committed to bring you in two shows no at least every off. week. So don't worry. You will still have shows from both Motorsport 101 and Bike Live. Uh, this time next week. My thanks to Andre Harrison. We don't need to see the psychiatrist for one week because we managed to cram this into just under an hour and a half. Um, Beautiful. So, um, so yeah, my major thanks to Dre for joining me this week. Thanks to all of you for listening, be it live on Patreon or uh, live on Discord, should I say, or by uh, downloading this uh, episode on SoundCloud or where all good podcasts are found. The other places you can find us, though, between now and then uh, are on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash motorsport101, on Twitter, we're at motorsport underscore 101. Uh, on our YouTube channel, youtube.com forward slash motorsport101. And our website is motorsport101.com. If you would like to listen to this podcast earlier than everyone else or listen to it live, then back us on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash motorsport101. Um, my thanks to Andre Harrison for joining me. We're going to shake hands and um, call, uh, call peace yes. at the end of this week's show. And look forward to talking to you again next week. From Dre and myself, it's goodbye. Goodbye.